the ultimate you know expression of our company is yes if someone walked onto a new planet wearing our clothes that's it that's different from would i want it to be me I mean, I, I quite like Earth. I think it's wonderful. You've got sunshine and the sea, and it's really fantastic. But if you're looking at the ultimate expression of where our company goes, if someone stepped onto a new planet wearing our clothing, that would be the most extraordinary achievement I could think of. That's Steve Tidball, co-founder of pioneering British clothing company Volibac, speaking about his vision for the brand. Hello, everyone, and welcome to WGSN's Create Tomorrow podcast. In this episode, we're exploring the future of clothing. I'm your host, Bethan Ryder, Director of Editorial at WGSN, and I'm joined by this week's guest, Steve Tidball, and Yvonne Kostiak, Head of Active at WGSN. Today, we're discussing the future of clothing, where in a world due to climate emergency, extreme weather is increasingly going to become a reality. So we'll explore the solutions our clothes might offer in harsher environments, and what the innovations are in the activewear market. I started our conversation by asking Steve exactly what Volibac is and the ethos behind the brand. We make clothes from the future and how that practically comes to life is we think about all the challenges that humanity is going to face over the next century from climate change to space colonisation to sort of moving off grid to you know war and we design clothes that are designed to see you through them using some of the most cutting edge material technology in the world. So that's what we do. We think very deeply about the future and then we try and design clothes to solve those problems. Give me one example. I know you've done full metal jackets, you've done graphene things, but just give us a, a list of a couple of items. Yeah, if I'm allowed three, I would probably start with the apocalypse jacket just because it's the most silly and so whilst it started with the idea of you know perhaps the world's going to end and we're all going to get hit by an asteroid you know hollywood style what you end up with is, is a really incredible piece of clothing that's you know lined with pockets that you can store your life in and the outside is lava proof so if you poured black lava or you know got hit by a really small meteorite you'd be okay through to equally silly stuff like <laughs> the mars jacket is a really fun one it comes with its own vomit pocket and vomit bag for when your vestibular system is messed up in deep space travel Back on Earth, we make really like practical clothes. <laughs> our hundred year, actually, I'll go for our indestructible range. We make a, a range of sort of indestructible clothing. This includes sort of hoodies and pants and jackets that can survive, you know, if you're chucked off a motorbike. So really practical stuff on Earth. And then we, we innovate with um, like kind of materials that maybe other people aren't necessarily working with so much. So we have a, a whole range dedicated to intercepting things that are on their way to the garbage dump. And then we make clothes out of them. Similarly, we've used sort of black algaes and things like that. So we try and innovate in ways that other people aren't necessarily thinking about. Fabulous. I would love you, Steve, to tell me as concisely as possible, what prompted two advertising creatives, which is yourself and your brother, to sort of step into the apparel market back in 2015? What was your vision for the brand back then? Well, I think probably it was a combination of vision and naivety. We were creative directing some big activewear brands one of them was Adidas. And at the same time, we were um, racing around the world. And we were lucky enough to get a sort of very small sponsorship opportunity with um, Berghaus, the British Northern brand. And there was no real light bulb moment, but there were a series of tiny little light bulbs. And those started going off when we started doing some really extreme races. One of them was across the Nibian, Namibian desert, we also raced, raced across the Amazon and over the Alps. And what was really fascinating was you really got to see two things. First was that the kit wasn't necessarily as advanced 
as the companies wanted you to think when you started to get into really, really extreme conditions. And the second thing was that the people actually taking part in these races had an incredibly experimental mindset. So you had people doing all sorts of really crazy things like making their own kit and trying to race for 48 hours just eating date paste. And I had quite a work, close working relationship with these brands. And what I saw was quite a high level of conservatism that wasn't really matched by the athletes. And the athletes were in effect far more experimental than the brands that were serving them. And so the very first small light bulb that went off was, isn't the kind of a split here? Wouldn't it be interesting if there was a company as experimental as the, some of these athletes pursuing these really extreme things? And so the community we first started really looking at is people absolutely in extremes. So, you know, from kite surfers to, you know, Felix Baumgartner just jumped from space. You had people trying to run around the world. And it was it was very, very it was like watching early man try and leave a cave and go over a mountain. And then the brand offerings felt quite static in comparison. And I think that was probably the first moment we thought, I wonder if there's something here. We didn't come up with a fully fledged idea, but there was certainly the germ of something nascent where you went, there seems to be a bit of a disconnect between the consumers and what they're being offered in the market. That's really interesting. And I think, Yvonne, just to sort of touch on that, I'm leaping slightly ahead here, but you are quite fascinated by Volibac because of the way the brand doesn't really structure itself like other fashion brands. I know you've got some thoughts on that in the question for Steve, probably around that. Yeah, I feel like it's interesting that you mention all of those examples of these athletes kind of breaking the rules, doing their own thing. Um, to me, I feel like Volaback are a bit of a rule breaker as well. I'm used to working alongside or with sort of bigger brands, fashion brands, retailers. And usually what they do is they launch seasonal collections. They normally have a kind of pyramid structure to their collections, which, you know, top is the big innovations. Volume of product at the bottom is like branded T-shirts. But for me, Volaback are doing something very different. You're only doing occasional innovations. You're what I would call top of the pyramid products. And it also resonates with something I'm really interested in at the moment is degrowth. Well, it all relates back to what we're actually trying to do. And so I always like to start with a sort of a why or a mission or a purpose. I mean, people call it all sorts of different things. I mean, the thing I'm fundamentally fascinated by is what do clothes look like over the next 50, 100, 1000 years? And so really, we start from what are the fundamental challenges we think we're tackling? And then we work backwards. And so I've obviously working in advertising for a very long time. I'm used to all of these sort of brand pyramids and sort of, you know, customer profiles and all this kind of nonsense. But what I'm really fascinated by is how do you solve grand challenges? And that's what we're attempting to do. So the, the company is entirely structured around that. We take on a series of thematic challenges and then attempt to meet them with kind of combining conceptual ideas I think maybe not that many people are thinking about with materials that not that many people are using and we pursue that strategy strategy fairly religiously and the result is you know of course that there is absolutely no seasonality because you know innovation is ready when it's ready. Yeah that is really interesting we're entering this polycrisis era as we talk about it a lot on WGSN where as you mentioned we're going to be facing climate issues, really volatile times in all types of like politics, industry, people, everything. 
So to me, it does make a lot of sense to really shift your focus to that really solution-driven innovation. And I feel like we, quite large parts of the industry are caught up in working the way they've always worked. I think in all of the products we talk about, the innovations we talk about, is a lot of problem solution. And I think that's, that's going to be the way forwards. So I agree. I think, well, I think one of the things that the industry has an issue with, and it's sort of you want to crystallize it in one sentence, is it's designed for the next season, not the next century. There's always a board to please, there's shareholders to please, there's the market to please. And if you carry on pleasing all of them, then I mean, did you watch the Adam McKay film, Don't Look Up? I mean, this is what you end up with. You end up with an asteroid hurtling to Earth and everyone's too busy on the day-to-day minutiae to actually sort the asteroid out. And so we try to focus pretty hard on the asteroid. Who's buying your goods right now? I think Yvonne's partner has a pair of something that, that is by you. Yeah, <laughs> so my, my husband bought the 100-year pants, the, the joggers. I think partly for the functional aspect, we, we sometimes go outdoors, do outdoorsy things. But I honestly think part of it was because he hates shopping and um, he loved the idea of only having to buy a pair of jogging pants once. (laughs) So he's not alone in that. It's kind of um, a Ron CLS concept. It does what it says on the tin. They're pants designed to last 100 years. We had a lot of guys write to us and say, I'm bored of having to buy lots of clothes all the time. Can you just make something that can outlive me? And um, we've done a hoodie. And then we move to pants. The thing that's different about them is essentially these things are, you know, wind resistant, you know, water repellent, but also most critically fireproof. And so we kind of thought about channeling your inner Jason Bourne of moving through multiple hostile environments simultaneously and, you know, your pants come out unscathed. That's where it started. But they're they're pretty good to wear watching Netflix too. You can do that. It's probably more complicated than I could explain, but the main thing, the main way to think about them is it's essentially three layers. And while the outer layer will stop rain and wind, the inner layer doubles up one as insulation and two as a source of, oh, it's, a, it's, a fire, it's fireproof basically. And as you expose it to flames, it, it acts like an airbag and grows to about a thousand times its size. That that sounds like, you know, you're surrounded by a tree trunk. You're not. It's, it's incredibly minuscule. So it basically grows like little weeds all over the plants. So you, you, you will end up with kind of like messed up pants, but, you know, you won't have burnt your skin. So, yes, a, a, a very a, a sort of complex sort of Swiss three layer fabric, essentially. You know, not everyone is just trying to escape the sort of, you know, German police Jason Bourne style. Before we get back to Yvonne's question, let me quickly remind you, you are listening to Create Tomorrow. My name is Bethan Ryder, Editorial Director at WGSN, and with me today is our activewear expert, Yvonne Kostiak, and our amazing guest is Steve Tidball, CEO and co-founder with his brother Nick of the British clothing company Volaback. Now let's get back to Yvonne's question about exactly who Volaback's current customer is. So the current customer, as you can probably imagine, there's a lot of very future-facing people. So there's a lot of customers who are building the future in their industry. Now, there's no typical industry. It might be, you know, legal, banking, creative, you know, art. And you, you tend to find a lot of people who are really deeply focused on the future of their industry. And we naturally resonate with them. 
because they look at someone who feels equally committed in a you know a discipline that might have no relation to what they do but they feel a kind of kindred spirit connection so you definitely get that sort of tesla driving customer who goes i would like to buy a bit of the future then there's a whole group of people who really are you know jumping into volcanoes for fun and going into sort of war zones and doing you know terrifically dangerous things that I, I don't do anymore in my office in King's Cross but there is also a very strong connection between those two types of people it would be easy to go you've got sort of you know the future facing guys in California who sit in an office all day and then you've got people actually out in the field but typically what we find is the customers even if they do have like a you know super high powered job the, the minute they get time off, they're off kite surfing or traveling around the world. And so there's less of a, those sound like two distinct consumer groups, but they're not, they're kind of the same person that we're talking to. Uh, and then of course we do get a lot of, you know, I'm lucky, I'm lucky enough that we're small enough that I still see lots of the orders as they come in and you get, you know, some wonderful famous people who I then write to and go, hello, <laughs> do you like these? Can I come and meet you? So it's, it's, it's one of the privileges and honours of running a company that you talked about degrowth, Yvonne, that hasn't grown to a scale where I lose connection with who the customers are and occasionally write a cheeky email to them saying, hey, can I come and meet you? You're one of my heroes. So that's nice, especially if it's like super future facing people. Can you name anyone on here or would you rather not? Yeah, I can name a few people. So Bear Grylls is one of my heroes. Um, Jack Dorsey, Joe Gebbia, who built Airbnb, Christopher Nolan, the film director, Bjark Ingalls, the architect. So yeah, I, we <laughs> we go hang out with some fun people. And then, you know, coming back to that sort of, you know, both the collaboration idea and where do ideas come from, you create your own luck in a way that the more people you hang out with who are thinking very, very deeply about the future, you inevitably hear, end up hearing ideas and stories that, you know, won't necessarily create an idea in the room the minute you meet them, but they very uh, definitely leave an impact in your brain that structures it a bit differently and it leaves space for an idea to grow, you know, the next day or the next week. So yes, we're fairly rigorous about taking those opportunities to go and meet people who are really thinking about the, the futures of their fields. This is making me think, are there any fallback collaborations coming up? Yes. <laughs> I can't name any of them. Um, can I name any of them? I think that attempting to build the future of clothing on our own is a wonderful but slightly one-dimensional exercise because if you think about what the future of clothing is going to need to be and the sort of the the, the sort of um, example i always use is in 100 or a thousand years time the time scale doesn't really matter but not today but in quite a long period of time we will effectively be living in what i would call like a soft robotic hospital that will kind of you know mend your arm if it's you know injured read your heart you know tell you who the person is going down the street you know change the temperature of your house as you walk into it that is the world we're going to inhabit. Now, there's definitely a debate of like, is that a good world? In the same way we could have a debate of, you know, is AI the way we should be going? But what I try to do is look at what's happening and then design responses to it, as opposed to sort of prejudge lots of things. But yes, who we work with will become vital to that. So yes, you have read the room correctly. You did mention something you're about to launch. Can we get a kind of first dibs on, on what's coming next from Volaback? Yeah, I think so. 
Yeah, so we've been working with the guys who are building the next aerogel heat shield for the Mars rover. So when the next Mars rover goes up and one of the key challenges you face when you're trying to land a rover on Mars, not that I've ever done it personally, is that when the rover bursts through the atmosphere, you get to temperatures of like 2000 plus degrees. And so in order not to destroy everything inside the rover and all the electronics and mechanics, it has to have a heat shield around it that effectively stops all of that stuff getting to the inner workings. That, that material material is aerogel so which is um i'm sure you know it's it's only three times heavier three times denser than air and it's an incredible insulator basically one of of those guys wrote to us in 2019 when we launched our first graphene jacket and said hey do you want to work together and they hadn't even invented the thing that they were working on at that point we've been working with them for the last four years and then obviously because we've got this completely new type of aerogel technology we've obviously wrapped it in space parachutes which were the last you know the parachutes that landed the last rover on mars and the first titan on probe so it's quite an extraordinary technical jacket but as i say you know just at entirely the wrong time of year um but that's fine because there's no perfect point for innovation i think it's perfect to bring out and then on the on the other on the other side we're working on really new ways of bringing color to life well we, we started off with we're looking at algaes and various various sort of raw pieces of clothing of how can color be created in new ways we're using minerals dna bacteria all sorts of fun stuff and my my ultimate vision interestingly like if you think about the future is how does this all stuff combine because obviously there's, there's a whole sort of strand of you know how to effectively do we make clothes out of nature and then you've got these really high-tech lab materials I'll ultimately i see a future where these two things combine where we can make low clothes out of nature that are really high-tech that last for the rest of your life and at the moment because of how the industry works and how mills work we're effectively building in silos but i don't see the future as siloed i see those i see those areas coming together it's just the time what what time scale are they going to come on and if we can get you know enough money to build a lab early then we'll do it but if not then we'll continue to work with all these people building the silos and see what we can make out of it but yeah so they sound quite split those projects but they're they're not they're much more close i'm trying to bring them much closer together than you might imagine in the future how important is scalability for you because at the moment you probably cater to a very affluent customer and that's how obviously you can innovate and you can do all these things because it's in quite a niche brand I guess we talk a lot about scalability this being the big block for sustainability like things like mycelium being scaled up do you see that as eventually partly your responsibility as well or are you kind of like we're plowing our own furrow as you said it's been a bit tough in covid this isn't something you're considering yet what's your view on that and and where the future lies certainly in in lots of the innovation I see scalability actually isn't the issue but as you've point alluded to, that the cost to manufacture is. So it's very it's very difficult to sort of make a sweeping generalization about the entire industry. But absolutely, in terms of what we do at the moment, yes, lots of it just costs a huge amount of money. The R&D costs money, the innovation costs money, the materials cost a lot of money, and typically, you know, a lot more than other brands would be willing to pay. However, I don't think that fundamentally this will be a scaling challenge. I, I, I haven't seen, you know, I, I chat to friends running other industry, r- running other sort of companies in other industries who really face like problems where it, it is actual rocket science. What, what I see within our industry is I don't think it's rocket science. What I think you've got is you've got a huge amount of vested interests in existing processes. And, you know, so factories don't necessarily want to make in new ways. Mills don't des- necessarily want to develop new stuff. There is a, a huge consensus basically encouraging people to do exactly the same thing and so the 
actual shift, I don't think it's a technological problem. I think it's a market problem, which is you'll, you'll fundamentally have to be able to educate consumers to want something that they don't necessarily know they want. So if you, if you compare it to an industry like, you know, electric cars, you know, the breakthroughs that e- Elon's had to make with Tesla are really, really profound scientific challenges. I don't think the clothing industry faces the same thing. I, I just think it's set up in a way that's not conducive to change. That's my personal view. And I'm sure lots of people will disagree with that. But I'm not seeing I'm not seeing anything that tells me that this is an impossible challenge. You've already talked a little bit about the future you envisage, Steve. Do you see it as a kind of harmonious nature, kind of trying to a positive or do you see a dystopian kind of the last of us sort of apocalyptic world? My feeling is I don't see it as binary. So one of my favourite TV series ever is Charlie Brooker's Black Mirror where he effectively imagines a series of futures and buried within some of those futures is disaster and buried within some of those futures is hope. My personal opinion is you have to design for both. I think you have to be really, really practical about what's happening. We're constantly thinking about lots of different possible versions of the future from living in space to living off grid to a world that is incredibly hot to a world that has been flooded to a world that is covered in fire and we try and encompass as many possible futures as we can conceive what i like to design for is i like to design for a future filled with hope but i do level that with a practical reality and then the other thing i think that's really interesting about the future is it's obviously taken incredibly seriously but it's okay to think about it in more fun ways. And so when we first started doing sort of the the stuff we were doing with algae quite early on, you know, we did silly little videos of worms and snails eating t-shirts, which was, you know, a really basically a very light-hearted way of looking at something as opposed to saying, we're destroying the world, algae is the solution. It was was that. And then similarly, like, you know, when we do design clothes for the apocalypse, which we have, and we think about sort of flaming meteors coming down from the sky, we build lava-proof clothing. So again, that's, that's sort of quite silly. And so one of the things that I think is quite important to think about is the role of being interesting. And I think if if all brands become incredibly serious, I think we live in a really dull world. Is Volback Island part of that? Are you going to go and live on Volback Island, the self-sufficiency and the off-grid type of living, which is also a really interesting future that I know you talk about in Volback? Well, we have some fun plans for it. Yes, one of them does involve me living on it. I haven't told my wife or my children yet. and I'm going to need to buy some sheep. <laughs> we have an island in Nova Scotia, which we will be using over the next few months to explore a series of possible futures. We couldn't quite afford to build Disneyland in stage one. And so we just went with a small piece of earth. We were particularly interested in Nova Scotia because it, it represents a, a really interesting way of thinking about off-grid because it, it basically experiences four seasons in a day. So, And those are quite extreme seasons. And so it's Geographically, it represents something of a kind of something analogous to what the future might look like when we think about how we're dressing for the future, as opposed to just it's going to be really hot or it's going to be floods. Is actually what I think what we were all seeing, even in the UK, is you know, we have this summer we had wildfires and floods. And for the last, you know, 10 years, we've been watching that happen in Australia and LA and all these other countries, and then suddenly it's here. And so I think that's going to arrive pretty fast. So yes, it's a, it's a place to experiment. We've seen some really out there projects. Is there an absolute ultimate dream project that maybe isn't even possible yet? 
so I know that everyone has a, their own personal feeling on space, but I think what, what fascinates me about it is that humans have been drawn to space ever since we could sort of, you know, draw on walls in caves and ev every culture has imagined it, living there, getting there. And we're the first generation able to, and I, I don't think that's quite sunk in for people yet. So in our generation, we will actually start to live on multiple different planets, which I think is just quite utterly phenomenal for a species that started out eating insects in trees <laughs> as monkeys. I find that really fascinating. And whether I think that we'll mess space up or not, however, the ultimate you know, expression of our company is, yes, if someone walked onto a new planet wearing our clothes, that's it. Now, that's different from would I want it to be me. I mean, I, I quite like Earth. I think it's wonderful. You've got sunshine and the sea, and it's really fantastic. Um, but if you're looking at the ultimate expression of where our company goes, if someone stepped onto a new planet wearing our clothing, that would be the most extraordinary achievement I could think of. Even if we do then mess that planet up accidentally, which I won't be in control of. There'll be a bunch of, you know, Silicon Valley billionaires messing that up potentially, won't there? <laughs> On that note, I think that's absolutely fascinating, Steve. I can't wait for the... Um women's wear which sounds like it's coming at some point i better do some more extreme <laughs> sports though which i don't really do at the moment oh no you'll be future proofing yourself bethan thank you steve thank you yvonne if you're a wgsn subscriber you'll find reports covering many of the topics we touched upon on our fashion platform thank you to steve tidbull co-founder of the pioneering british clothing company volaback for taking the time to speak to us today if you want to find out how to subscribe head over to wgsn.com to discover how you can get access to our service, we're constantly publishing new content focusing on how we can design a brighter, better future for our industries. And these include food and drink, interiors, beauty, fashion, and consumer tech. You can subscribe on all major podcast platforms. And if you like what you've heard, why not leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts? We'll be back in two weeks for our next episode. In the meantime, you can catch the CEO of WGSN, Carla Buzashi, next week on our other podcast, Lives of Tomorrow, where we'll be looking at the future of fatherhood. 